This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two amazing people, Tia Vasiliu. Hello, I'm played by Kathleen Turner this week. <laughs> and Brian Murray. As played by Brian Murray. Uh, well, yeah, we couldn't bring in a big celebrity for Brian this week, but we are here to talk the about... the budget on Kathleen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Good get, though. We truly Man. did. Uh, next week, we will try harder to replace whoever's going to be on the show next week with some more famous folks. But we are here to talk about the coolest thing in the entire world, and that is comic books. So let me ask the question I ask every single week, for the most part. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Brian. I've been good. Uh, I haven't had a whole lot of time for comics of late. Uh, Kate and I are kicking our house hunt into high gear, which has been just absorbing every free moment of our lives. Oh, sure. Um, but it's cool. You know, I've been in a lot of strangers' homes the past couple of weeks. <laughs> That's always fun. I did make time to... I'm only like a couple weeks behind on my comic books, which for me is... You know, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I got Ironheart number one. Uh, that's from Eve L. Ewing with art by Kevin Labranda and Luciano Vecchio. Or Vecchio. Who knows? Uh, this book is exactly what I was hoping it would be. It's got all the like cool tech and visuals that you want from an Iron Man book, but without all what I've been thinking in my head of as the old white guy baggage. <laughs> it's a, a new take on the character that is much more interesting, and I feel like she's a lot more well-balanced than Tony Stark is, because it seems like Tony Stark is always either, you know, the genius billionaire playboy philanthropist or the drunk mess and we don't really get a lot of nuance in his character in a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and maybe that's just because he's so well established but with riri i'm definitely getting more of that and i'm i'm enjoying it so far cool yeah um i also got through the warning number one from edward laroche who actually did the who wrote it and did the art it's a good sci-fi book. It's very non-linear. So it, it kind of starts you off in the nebulous present. And then it kicks back, you know, three months. And then it kicks back months before that. And then we go back to the present. But somehow it all it all makes sense. Like, LaRoche does a really good job of keeping those time periods distinct. So you never have that moment of wondering... Like, is this the present? Am I in a flashback right now? They, they, uh, we dodged that. So, gotcha. Who who publishes this? Um, if you know off the top of your head, uh, it's an image book. Oh, cool! Very cool. I haven't heard of it. Um, but I do love a good sci-fi book. Yeah, it's it's, and the the first issue doesn't get too much into the plot. It's mostly introducing you to the main character or who right. I think is the main character. I don't think we actually get like a name for him or anything. Mm-hmm. The first few pages are him waxing poetic about karma and whether or not the bumblebee he's looking at is somebody he might have killed. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> it's a little weird, but I'm into that. Very cool. Yeah, it's lo- it looks like there's going to be kind of like an alien invasion thing going on, but mm-hmm. issue one doesn't really get into that too much. Gotcha. Uh, Tia, how about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Well, as you might have noticed, I am losing my voice. I hope that I'm not getting sick. 
I think that it could just be because I was at a very loud party last night yelling a lot. So gotcha. who knows? I sound like this now. It's great. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little worried, but you know what? I'll take your word for it. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that the world will be a better place if I talk a little less anyway. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> In terms of comic books, it was a pretty great week. Um, obviously, everyone is uh, expects me to name check The Wicked and the Divine when it comes out if I'm on the show. And you gotta. Of course, I read issue 40, which came out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, crazy things are happening. I don't really know what else you would expect from this book at that point. It continues to be right. <laughs> a time. That is... <laughs> That's one way to describe it, for sure. <laughs> I also read, of course, Die Number One, which came out Wednesday. I feel like I should um, just throw out there that I I read it back in October at New York Comic Con because I got to play the game that Kieran is writing to go with it. So just to in case people are like, I don't know, living in a bunker. Um, Die number one <laughs> came out Wednesday. It's Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans's new image book. And um, they describe it as goth Jumanji. The basic premise is that um, in the 90s, this group of kids is playing um, an RPG and they disappear. And then they turn up a couple of years later one of them is missing from the group and the ones who did come back uh, are they're like physically incapable of saying what happened or where that the missing kid is and mm-hmm. so then it's you know you come into the present they're all in their 40s and um, something happens that brings them back together and makes them have to kind of confront what happened in that game and they get transported back into the the game basically and we've talked I think a little before about how I've never really been invited to play games and I don't I have wanted to so it's been kind of neat I've had friends um a friend of mine this year ran a blades in the dark game that I got to play and I got to play the game that Kieran is writing to go with. I think it's going to come out when the trade comes out because it's kind of spoilery, the game that, that he's oh, playing together. Yeah. Um, so And that was really fun. And um, I also just might have ordered a Warhammer army. <gasps> oh. Tia, no. Oh, God, no. What is ha- Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> I got the um, the Daughters of Cain because I really liked the Sisters of Slaughter and the Blood Cauldron mm-hmm. and the thigh-high boots <laughs> and the whips and the murder sex elves. So that's yeah, This coming. is all very on brand. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like, look, I everyone knows I love Kieran's writing. Stephanie Hans is definitely one of my favorite artists. She has been since I first saw her work in Journey in a Mystery. It's just like... Mm-hmm. Her work is so luscious and painterly and expressive and beautiful. It's like 
it's like swimming in melted jewels. There's something really refreshing and sparkling about it, um, but it very like luscious, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the work, I read this as well, and this issue is testament to that, what you just said. Like, holy cow, what an issue. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's like, Stephanie Hans as a person, I feel like I, I've talked to her a little bit, and she just synthesizes all of these incredibly interesting, beautiful things in the world, like she, like a prism, and then they come out in this beautiful artwork. I just, I love her so much, and I'm so thrilled mm-hmm. that she's on this really big, successful book. I think that it's already gone to a second printing, the first issue, so yeah. that's really exciting. And, you know, she just is so good at putting together fantasy worlds. It just matches her style so well. And I love her character designs. She was like, she clearly just knows these characters inside and out. And I just, I can't say enough about how brilliant she is. I'm so excited for an ongoing with her. Yeah. Everybody needs to go check this out like i was i was hesitant because i felt like this book was really on the nose and i was like oh okay i'll try number one like a fucking fool because this is definitely very much my kind of thing um and man what an issue from from beginning to end i was so mad that it ended like that's (laughs) that's what kind of book this was i was so mad that that was all that we got in one issue yeah um i think very hooked it's really, it's nice, you know, I think a lot of people associate Kieran with young people like Young Avengers and Wiktiv. And this is more about like, you know, it's it's people in their 40s kind of having to confront things from their past. It's, it's an interesting mm-hmm. pivot that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, same here. The, the, I came out of that book just being like, all right, when can I run my next D&D game? When can mm-hmm. I find a game, to, you know, like a, a tabletop game to play? Very exciting stuff. Um, well, for me, this, yeah, I I read a bunch of stuff because I was traveling a lot. And when I get on a plane or if I get in a car for a long drive, I end up just reading a lot of comic books. But I did sit down and I read Savage Town. This is by Philip Barrett and Declan Shelby on writing with art by Philip Barrett and colors by the wonderful Jordi Belair. Um, this is a book that came out a while ago. This is like an OGN that was just dropped at Image, and I remember seeing a lot of really good press about it. It's a it's a really interesting book. Um, it very much feels like you're in Ireland, like everything's written with slang and everything. There's no holding back. Like they're not like babying you into this rough and tumble world of gang wars in Ireland, um, in this t- city called Limerick. And yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty fun book if you're into like just gang wars on a very small scale. Um, there's not like a lot of open gunning and running or anything like that, but there's like a weird mixture of small time gangs rivaling and there's a third gang in the middle who we're kind of focusing on the Savage Gang, um, which is what they're called. The main character's last name is Savage. He wears this very bright, colorful coat, which you've probably seen from the cover. This book has a lot of flair to it. It's something that like I really loved from beginning to end. I felt like I was very much immersed um, because there was no pulling of punches, like I said. Um, you definitely know they're Irish is the thing that I wrote in my notes. Um, but it, on the whole, given this and um, my heroes have always been junkies, Like if Image wants to kind of throw a bone out with these original graphic novels every once in a while, I'm totally on board. I know they've been doing this for a little while, but Savage Game and My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies are the ones that I got into, and I think... 
I'm definitely more willing to try more of these OGNs that Image is going to drop in the future. Um, I really, really enjoyed this book. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, you definitely should. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely something. It's, it's very on the nose in a lot of things. Um, I also read GoBots number one. This is from Tom Scioli. Um, I watched an interview that Paul posted in like our IRCB group chat with uh, between Tom Scioli and Ed Pisker on Ed's cartoonist kayfabe YouTube channel, and he got super drawn into. It. I was like, okay, I'm, I was gonna wait for this for trade, and I was like, screw it, I'll just buy issue one. Um, it's a lot of fun if you if you liked Tom Scioli's work on uh, Transformers vs GI Joe. This is totally a different book but it's in the same style. It's less humongous pages, and it's actually more framed, paneled storytelling, um, which is a serious change for Scioli and, and a lot of his other works. So if you are if you want to read a story about what happens if robot slaves decide to destroy all of humans, uh, this is the book for you. And I'll put a link to that YouTube interview uh, in the show notes, but that's pretty much what it is. Like Issue one can be summed up as like, Robots are currently, they're like quote-unquote slaves to humans. Um, they do everything for humans and some rogue robots decide we're not going to take it anymore and start killing humans. And some robots are caught in the middle because they love their masters. Like they actually get along with them. It's not like a master-slave relationship. It's like two people who have bonded over a common goal. Um, so it's it's pretty cool. I like it. And Scioli's art is always a draw for me. I don't know if you guys had a chance to check that out, but um, it's definitely something. No, I I swear I had GoBots when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. They're like the discount Transformers, you know? Yeah. And I was very much like an off-brand kid growing up. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. we never went to Chuck E. Cheese. We went to Playworld, which was the, right. uh, <laughs> the bullshit Chuck E. Cheese in my hometown. Right. Because there was no pizza there. Right. <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week. Comic books are dropping on December 12, 2018. What are you both excited for this week? Let's start with you, Tia. All right. Well, I am... Okay, first, let me just say, I don't... Going back in time a little bit, I'm not into Thanksgiving, so I spent Thanksgiving alone in New York, as one does. Okay. And uh, I went to a midnight showing of Alien, you know, like the Pilgrims, and... um, it was amazing, and <laughs> sorry, it took me a minute, but that's really yeah, funny. Yeah, it got that. <laughs> so then, of course, I had to go when they showed a midnight screening of Aliens, because right, of course. obviously, and I just am like, okay, awesome. So, Alien Three, the the William Gibson's Alien Three. I think number two comes out next week. This is, um, they basically handed the script to Johnny Christmas, who I love. And mm-hmm. um, Tom Rabonville is doing the colors, which I think they work together a lot. Actually, they're a great team. So like, yeah, bring it. Give me more Alien. Uh, you know how I love them. And you know what I realized? Okay, listen, in Alien, when the, the chest burster comes out of the guy's like body cavity, spoiler alert, if you have... Mm-hmm. If you're in that bunker, um, it like pops out and it looks around. It's this little baby, and everyone like screams and runs away from it and is like trying to kill it. I mean, it's like, are you my mother? Where's my mother? <laughs> Someone love me. <laughs> and yes. like, how do we know that if it hadn't been greeted with violence and repulsion in its first like moments of life, it couldn't have turned out differently? Yeah, I'm. 
I'm willing to read that fan fiction. <laughs> Like I the love- successful socializing of a xenomorph. <laughs> yeah, Look, yeah. I love xenomorphs very much, and I will defend them. Uh, you know, not that they need my help, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, you know, this book does look very pretty. I was probably it was trade waiting it, um, just because I'm now I'm into alien thanks to Nick and I obviously you and everybody kind of pushing like aliens aren't that bad I'm I'm kind of into it so I might have to check this out look like if you stumbled into a wild animal's habitat like they're gonna fuck you up it's your fault <laughs> all of space <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's great Brian what about you what are you excited for this week uh sticking on the monster theme I'm looking forward to Bitterroot number two it's from David Walker and Sanford Green um, I think I talked about Bitterroot number one last time I was on the show, but for any That's of those right. we won't hold who, it against you. who might have missed it, uh, it's a sort of a monster hunting thing set in Harlem in the 20s, and it's super interesting. I'm fascinated by this. It's this like dynastic family type thing where these this family has just kind of been the the spooky weird family we don't talk about for a long time Mm -hmm. and so i'm really excited to sort of find out more about them and their dynamics um one of the main characters is a woman rebelling against the established roles that the patriarchy gave her which you know i'm always into Mm -hmm. um she's basically like refusing to be sort of like the alchemist potion maker type and be more of a a fighter it's uh okay. it's cool you know the the monsters are interesting i don't know a ton about them yet because i only read one issue but it's definitely enough that i'm looking forward to issue number two a whole lot cool i mean there's nothing wrong with like a let's let's fight monsters in the streets of new york that's always a thing right <laughs> yeah yeah like worst case scenario it's another monster hunting book which i'm fine with Right, right, right. I mean, I'm not convinced I... that regular New York isn't fighting monsters in the streets. Right. There's there's enough spaces and weird people and weird things and shadows that you never know. You really could never know. Man, I saw a video online of some guy just peeing on the subway. Just like I almost fought a guy door. masturbating on the subway the other day. Ugh. And I was like, I think I'm going to clock this dude. But of course I didn't. I just left because that's don't punch people yeah you don't want to get yeah. close to that kind of person. that's the thing no. <laughs> you already know what their level of quote-unquote okay is right if he's willing to <laughs> masturbate on the train what else is he willing to do exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly but i really holy cow yeah it's infuriating that's awful yeah it so you know, i'm all for fighting monsters in new york that's like a that's a sort of power fantasy that i can get behind right just give everyone a crossbow and say you get one shot <laughs> that's <laughs> um jeez well uh let me segue away from that um and say i'm not excited for uncanny x-men number five this week because whoever said weekly comic books were a good idea should be smashed in the face with a hockey stick <laughs> um you think they belong in the train with the masturbator yeah all the bad fighting, people I'm fighting go monsters put in, in new there. york yeah <laughs> Let's segue away from violence to hitting somebody with a hockey stick. Listen, my my kind of violence is a Casey Jones kind of violence, okay? Oh, nice. 
Yeah, see, let me just pull it all into comic books. Um, but no, so I read number four today because I ha- am a, I hate myself, and I'm, I continue to buy this book. Um, there's so much going on. There's so many plot threads that are kind of coming together. And then I found out today that they're doing a five miniseries story called Age of X-Men. And my head is going to explode because none of it's cheap. Uncanny X-Men is $4 every week. Every week for the next 12 weeks. It's 12 issues are going to be coming out weekly. And there's just... I just need to clear my mind. Like, I need a breather week between issues. Like, Batman coming out every other week, I can deal with that because that's a pretty flat, straightforward story. Uncanny X-Men has at least three plot threads going on, and it just it just drives me up the wall, you guys. I just, I'm going to read this book, and I'm just not happy about it because I love some of the characters that are in it. They're doing a lot of really cool stuff with the teenagers being mad at the adults, and I'm always for that. Um, the older, despite how old I get, I still want teenagers to rebel against adults. So like Footloose is my go-to movie or something. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I think this book is too much for a weekly book and yet I keep reading it. And that's, that's about all I can say about it. (sighs) But you know, Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler are working on these new Age of X-Men stuff and I just... I love those guys, so I'm really torn about whether I should be mad about this miniseries thing. There's so much X-Men going on, and I'm so mad about it. <sighs> feel better? <laughs> Get that off your chest? I, I kind of feel better. I don't know. It's just, it's it's all in my system, and I'm so worked up, and I just dread reading my X-Men comics, and then I get really sucked into them, and I'm like, oh shit, there's another one next week. Oh, it's so much. <laughs> You love suffering for X-Men, though, so, like, no one believes you that you're not happy about it. (laughs) I don't know. I just... It's it's just a lot of comic books. It's it's a lot of comic books. Because I'm thinking, like, if I'm going to jump into this Age of X-Men stuff that's coming out, what books am I going to drop so that I can be, like, in a reasonable position to keep reading comic books regularly? None of them. And it's really tough. Yeah, the answer is obviously none of them. The answer is you're going to keep buying all of them because you're Mike. (laughs) And there's you love it. There's literally like an office in the in Marvel where they're like, "Oh man, are we sure we're gonna make money on these books?" And then someone's like, "Yeah, cause Mike." And they're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, damn." You know it's true. I mean, I know it's true. That's the thing. <laughs> For our show this week, we are talking about how to depict action in comics. But before we get into the topic, I want to let everyone know we have opened up the official 2018 end-of-year survey for iRead Comic Books. So if you're interested in potentially winning a $15 gift card to Comixology, head over to ircbpodcast.com survey, fill out the survey, give us your email, and we'll put you in the raffle to win. We just got a couple of questions about what you all think about the show, and as, as well as a couple other things about comic reading habits and things like that. So head over to ircbpodcast.com survey and fill that out. But let's get into the topic. We're talking about how to depict action in comic books. Tia and Brian came up with this idea, and we've got some really interesting things about what makes action work in comics. So, Brian, Tia, whoever wants to start, get us into like what you guys think makes that work in comics. You know, I've all, I, I'm really interested in this topic because I'm a dancer, and you know, so movement is just 
in general interesting to me and mm-hmm. uh, comics even though they're sequential uh they're a static art form in that you know they don't move the people in them don't move there and so artists right it's a problem that artists have to solve which just like is one of my favorite things to think about and talk about and look at uh and you know they're so I thought that it would be kind of fun for us to talk about some of the ways artists approach the problem and and how they solve it. Yeah, I, I think like there was I, I know at some point we were you guys were talking about this in a in a chat of some sort and I think you brought up the idea of like why capes exist. Is that's am I am I remembering correctly? Yeah, I'm pretty sure capes exist to show movement in in yeah, like <laughs> the, the end. <laughs> I mean, you know, think about it though. How do you know, like, Edna Mode is not wrong. Capes, like, make no sense at all from a, <laughs> like... For those of us who haven't seen Incredibles, that is a key point in that movie. If you haven't seen it, go check out Incredibles. <laughs> I mean, you're if you're a superhero and you're, like, doing stuff, what the hell are you going to do with a cape? That's just going to get in your way. It literally... Mm-hmm. Capes are for people who are extra AF or who, for <laughs> when you need to show movement and action. Like Superman is flying. He has a cape. Bat, right. You know, Batman is like jumping off of a bridge or whatever he does. You know, I mean, well, you know, my thoughts on Batman and his cape that should be made out of skin. So maybe Batman's cape right, makes right. sense for other reasons. <laughs> Which episode is skin cape? I forget. Uh, all we know is it is one of our top tier <laughs> titles of the show. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I enjoyed Skin Cape. Skin Cape's great. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and but yeah. That. So, what's really interesting about that is that, like, in my head, you know, or, and I think a lot of people's heads, capes are synonymous with superheroes. Like, you put the cape on to become the superhero. That's like the defining trait. Whether you're a four year old kid or you're a sixty five year old adult, like you wrap some, you know, like a sheet around your neck, and all yep. of a sudden you are the superhero. Everyone's done that, right? And and it's interesting because I I think you're I, I believe you're right that. Capes were only there to say, hey, Superman is flying. He's not just some static figure leaping through the sky. He's actually flying because it gives him something that makes it seem like he's actually moving throughout the sky, not just not just floating or whatever. I, I guess, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting thing. I, I never really considered that. Yeah, I like the Batman point as well because when you can kind of see the way physics are acting on the cape, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like... When, like you said, when he jumps off a building, so you can see it kind of like billowing up behind him. It makes it a much more dynamic and interesting thing to look at. I think that Batman probably falls under the extra of category too, because like, come oh, on, absolutely, like, that's a very dramatic entrance. Yeah, but then you look at superheroes, though beyond the you know classic golden age heroes you look at someone like invincible that's like a go-to hero or even like hellboy they don't need a cape because they depict action in different ways oh, right yeah, I, I will say though hellboy has a big flowy coat mm-hmm. that's true that's true but i i would say that that's really cool that's not extra <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the cape for people who think they're too good for capes right <laughs> right right uh, but those, but those characters, they they depict action in a lot of different ways in the comics, and they're drawn differently, right? Like when you think of when I think of Invincible, I think of 
like a lot of action lines, right? Like I like when Invincible is flying through the sky, you see that very clear light white um, line around him that shows that he's flying through the air, and you get that with um, Adam Eve in that book as well. Where as she flies, I mean, she's got long hair, so it's a little bit more obvious, but you still see those white lines. Like Ryan Otley did a very good job to say, like, there's a lot of movement happening here, and it's very very fast because these little trails of air are being pushed behind them. Um, and that, I think that's like the alternative to having a cape, right? To show some sort of action line in some way. Yeah. And I think another thing that artists do to depict action, um, pay attention to the size of the panels. For example, I think that smaller panels and more of them implies things happening faster with more intensity than like a big splash page where you would kind of linger over that image for longer if that makes sense so there's ways with the panel design or layout that they can to a certain extent control the pacing of the of your reading of of how your eye moves through the page oh right 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 yeah that's a really interesting point so basically by making you move your eyes faster it makes it appear that the comic is faster right and i and i also think that using smaller panels that focus on uh like really tight in on a single thing that's happening that's another way that they can do that they can that they can kind of force your reading pace whereas if it's a bigger panel with more detail in it you are going to be more inclined to linger in it um i feel like hawkeye does a good job of that and um i want to say that there was a daredevil run that now I can't think of who the artist is that also did a really good job of that. Are, are we talking about like the the Frank Miller run by chance, or are you talking about something a little more recent? More recent. Okay. I I haven't been following enough Daredevil. I I, I the only ones I could think of are like the Charles Soule run, but I can't remember who was on the art for that, or maybe it was the Mark Wade run that had Javier Polito for a little bit, and. I can't remember anybody else. My ma- my mind is completely blanking. I'm still stuck on like capes <laughs> for some reason. Um. <laughs> I mean, and then there's actually another, I think kind of going in the opposite direction with, with layout and design. There's that great double page spread in Young Avengers where Marvel Boy is like running around in the club and it's like a diagram. And uh, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, that's also just a really creative way to show movement and that was also just a really great page it's kind of like like the old the old family circus cartoons from the newspaper (laughs) a little kid with a dotted line behind him like yeah i was gonna say that's that way of depicting action where you see the character in multiple spots in a panel to depict like how they moved through a panel or how they you know their hand went from a to b or they did a flip from a to b to c to d like that's that's a really interesting way to show action and create movement um without forcing the reader to like imagine the movement themselves they're actually seeing the artist's depiction of that um i think that's that's a really cool thing and you'd get that with like little action lines when someone's swinging you can kind of visualize how their arm or their leg or whatever moved um to get from to get to the final picture that you're seeing in the actual panel. Um, the thing that I can think of the most is that there's a run of Incredible Hercules where that happens, where Thor and Hercules are fighting, and it's one of the funniest fight scenes ever. But there's a lot of little moments like that where you're seeing 
the final action of the hit where someone gets hit in the face and you can see the full swing of Thor's arm or, you know, Hercules' leg or something like that. Yeah, I think that works really well, especially because that's kind of like how our eyes process movement in real life. Like, there's that kind of blur, that trail that something leaves behind as it moves quickly through your field of view. And so I think that's a really great way of conveying that in a comic is to have that sort of like faint ghostly after image almost behind the object that moved. Oh yeah. What's really interesting about this is that there's um, like, it has a direct ancestor in art history in, in like the 19 teens, the Italian futurists were like really fascinated by this problem. And like, how do you depict dynamic movement in static art and so like i don't know like a really famous one is um giacomo bella's dynamism of a dog on a leash which is at the albright knox museum and it's like a painting of a little dachshund and he he almost looks like a centipede because he's got so many legs and his little tail's moving so fast and it and it's exactly (laughs) what we're talking about where he just like he has the, the like you know 10 legs and and the like movement lines through his legs and you know that was like cutting edge stuff in 1912 but it does the trick and people still use it yeah i mean absolutely it's it's definitely like the the easiest way to depict action without like overdrawing something um or overpainting i guess in this these cases i'm guessing um yeah, I think that another another thing that works really well for me I, is like sound effects, like just kind of imply a lot of action in my head. Oh yeah, and I, I think that that's like that's like an after effect of something that's happened, but it's a clear signifier that some sort of noise has happened that should give you the idea of an action, even if the the image is completely static. Um, I always I always appreciate that, especially and I know we did this in our sound effects episode, but little tips and taps and things like that to kind of draw your attention to something that you need to know happened maybe in a in a panel um, or on a whole page in some cases um, it's really interesting to me yeah because movement definitely is like a multi-sensory experience and so I think that tapping into the sound that a movement or an action might make is a really good way to approach that problem like yeah I mean what sorry, is, no it's okay I just now I'm thinking about like different sound effects that that go with movement as opposed to because like if some if you smash something that's an action but it's there it's not necessarily like a a movement in the same way that we're talking about where like you know if someone's like if like flash runs past you or something like what is what noise would that make you know i'm sure in the in the onomatopoeia database there's a million options yeah yeah definitely and it's something you you wouldn't get in say like older paintings you're not going to see sound effects necessarily printed in in art Um, although i am looking at this dynamism of a dog on a leash and there is like a sound playing in my head Uh, (laughs) it is not a good sound (laughs) it's like a scurrying noise right yeah, just like this, like rapid, like clattering almost. Uh-huh. It reminds me a lot of uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, or like oh, old like Looney Tunes when they run really fast yeah. and their legs just kind of like turn into a circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That's this is like the the forefather of that. It's true. I mean, cubism is is really all about that, like fractured time and space, basically. And so it, I mean, it's like pushing it to its most conceptual. But the problem that the cubists were interested in is the same problem that comic book artists have to deal with. So take that snobs who think that comic book art isn't <laughs> and isn't as intellectual as fine art i mean one of the thing that that really works for me is like the way that the star wars comics have done action like i don't know if you guys have read a lot i think we've all read like darth vader for instance right but i think that the way that like actions and swinging and like explosions are depicted like all over the page in some cases um at, like character faces and emotions being portrayed like you get Salvador LaRocca his very very intricate way of drawing pretty much everything um he does a fantastic job of depicting like emotion through action like you're not just getting the swing of an arm but you're also getting like a very vivid facial expression from someone or you know it, the way that he draws explosions and stuff it's 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 very like cinematic and i i obviously that's probably intentional with the Star Wars comics but um I always like admired the way that that was done in all of those books that I've read so far. Um, I think they've, it's been really impressive. Well, you would have to take it even a step further in Star Wars comics because the impetus of movement isn't always obvious when people use the force to do shit. You know, like oh yeah, if Superman's oh, yeah. flying, you know where that's coming from. But if a Jedi reaches out to move a rock or to like you know get his lightsaber or whatever mm -hmm. how do you connect his move you know holding his arm out with making that movement happen yeah it's a it, don't they usually do they use like a little blue outline because i feel like that's like the go-to thing for that sometimes they do yeah yeah okay color is okay. an interesting way to, to show movement that yeah oh yeah i mean there's a I, oh man i can't remember the book i want to say it was the black widow book that chris samney did that book does a, did a really fantastic job of like using color and highlights within panels to make sure that you knew what was happening. Matt Wilson, so like at, that an action was happening. Yeah, that, that's that's what I mean. Like the color work on that book was impressive, like seriously impressive. And I think like part of that helped to depict what actions and other things that were happening. Um, and I and I I'm starting to use action as less of a like like a plot device but is like any kind of movement or thing right um you know where a character is interacting but i think those are they're all kind of on the same spectrum of describing like something that's happening in the comic that is physical um and color like you said can be used in that way to you know depict a button being pressed down from green to red or something um any of that kind of stuff can work and it's just a simple color change could depict a massive change in a scene yeah and going back to to panels shifting the borders of a panel to be diagonal instead of a grid or um i've seen spiral panels there was a really great page in young avenger or no uh sorry secret avengers the elish cott and michael walsh mm -hmm. run that i loved uh where they are like descending down and and the it like spirals you have to turn it so then that actually involves the reader 
directly like you actually have to make a corresponding physical movement i actually there's a mm-hmm. there's a stump town i don't remember which issue um of stump town is that matthew southworth i can't remember anyway uh where you, you there's like a car chase and you kind of have to turn the book like your drive like you have a steering wheel in your hands so that's kind of oh that's bizarre i mean yeah so you know sometimes they can actually like break the fourth wall or pull the reader in to actually make movements themselves in order to kind of feel the movement that's happening in the story Hmm. one one thing i i like that that's done kind of I'm like, now I'm just trying to think of like uses of, of widths that lettering is done because I think lettering is part of that, right? Because like as a reader, the only reason you really have to turn a book is to try to read it, That's right? That's true, yeah. Um, and I think one way that I think, you know, action is done, like a character's on like a shaking ship and like you'll see the echoes of like a, a word bubble shaking on the page to kind of like get you more into the mind of like what's actually happening to the character in the story. Um, you get that with a lot of really creative lettering done, I think more so in independent books than anywhere else, where you'll see like reverberations or you'll see like a word grow as a character begins to yell and it's supposed to, as it goes from left to right, the letters will grow and get massive and you're forced to turn the page to continue in the story. Like a lot of that can build tension for the reader to like be involved in what's actually happening because you feel and you are witnessing like a visual change that's depicting a massive something. Um, I, I find that really impressive. Like letterers, we always say, you know, they don't get enough respect, but they're totally out there. Clayton Coles, we know, we respect you, man. <laughs> yeah. He's lettering die, which I should have mentioned earlier in the show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, but Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was going to throw back to, you were talking about how in Star Wars, it makes sense that there would be very like dramatic action. I do like that how in different genres or different styles, obviously action is going to be portrayed differently. Like in mm-hmm. in Giant Days, it's a much more cartoony style. And so action in that book is often shown by, you know, like things flying into the air as a character runs by or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. There's I was looking back through one of the older issues for examples and... We have Esther and Ed just getting hammered one night. And so they're holding cups and you can see the liquid in their cups slosh around. And so in one panel, it might be like, you know, precariously up over the lip of the glass, kind of like hovering in midair. Mm-hmm. And it really gives you an idea of how their movements are becoming more exaggerated as they get drunker and drunker, which you know I can certainly relate to. Yeah, yeah. Drunk, drunk Brian likes to sprawl out and really, really occupy the space. <laughs> yeah, that, and I think that like the the cartoonish way of the giant days, and I think that you know, there's plenty of other books out there that do that. Um, is a very like like obvious way to depict action. Like you know, you were saying before with the sonic legs running and stuff. Um, it really puts a clear, super exaggerated look on what's actually happening on the page. Um. It kind of, for some reason, that reminded me of 
like I've been reading this manga monster for a while and uh, that book is far from cartoonish, right? It's very, very serious. And I was thinking, I was like, well, what, you know, in manga, like what are some of the ways that action is depicted? And a lot of it is like sound effects and like over-exaggerated caricatures of people. Like um, this is going like shonen versus like seinen manga, right? So shonen manga, you'll see like super drawn out expressive legs and faces and arms and stuff as characters are, I'm thinking specifically of like Haikyuu, where you see a character reach a million miles in the sky, or that's what it looks like, in order to, you know, slap away a volleyball or something. Um, whereas in comparison to this book, Monster, I think a lot of the major action actually happens off panel, and you'll cut to like a black panel, or you'll cut to a sound effect on like white on black, or black on white, just a plain open panel. Um, because there's not a lot of like, you don't want to necessarily see a knife go into someone's stomach, but you do want to hear like the slice or read the slice sound effect to know that that happened. Um, because you, they don't need to necessarily show the action there in like these more mature manga. Um, instead, they can imply a lot of things and let the, the reader actually visualize it or understand it however they want. I'm not sitting here like visualizing a knife going into someone's belly, but um, I can definitely take away that on one panel, this person was standing with a knife in front of them. In the next page, they're on the ground with a knife in their stomach. I don't need to see the in-between there. I just need the sound effect. Um, and I think that's like a, a way that... A lot of films will do that too. You'll see a gunshot off in the distance. Things will cut to black, and then a person wakes up. You know, um, we don't need to see the bullet hitting someone in the chest. We kind of know what's happening there, um, it, which gives like a lot of, um, I guess, it, it requires the the reader or the the consumer, whoever's taking in the media, to kind of know what's going on, be a little bit more mature about what they're they're like reading or watching. But um, I think that's an interesting way to do that. It takes away the more grisly visual aspects of some things specifically around violence you know so not to be the art history nerd again but that was actually totally fine <laughs> please do that's a a distinguishing feature of sculpture in the hellenistic period in late antiquity where really yeah they would show sort of the like the moment before or after the the big dramatic thing and it it really um in yeah it invites a lot more i guess uh viewer participation to f kind of fill in what what was the story before or after or like how what what is the connection and it's oh, interesting yeah um i think it's nice to see that kind of trust in the audience in comics not everything has to be like laid out for you and the, the choices that mm -hmm. the artist makes um in terms of or i'm sure the writer participates in these decisions as well to decide like which story beats are we going to show you and which ones are we going to let you imagine and how do how much control do we want to keep over that and how are we going to deploy the tools that we have to make sure that you make the connections and in, in the right way and and stuff like that like I don't know I just think those are really exciting things to pay attention to and especially if you want to be a creator of some kind looking at how those things are put together and kind of reverse engineering them is such a great way to grow as a creator I would say absolutely yeah so I'm just going through my mind of like all the various comics because I've thought about this like trying to think of of 
you know, like newer and older examples of how I think action's been depicted. But I, we've covered a lot of them already. Um, I know there's something that like uh, I watched this old documentary at some point of, about Jack Kirby's work. And somebody said like Jack Kirby is one of the first comic book artists to show like sinew on in on like superheroes to show like their the tension of their muscles while they were jumping or leaping or punching or whatever. Um, and to me that that I, I want to say that that does depict action, but that's more of like a description of the figure because um, like because you can have that. Um, but I, I don't know. It's it's. Yeah, I, I, I'm like lost for words at this point because I'm I'm trying to think like there's only so many ways you can depict action, but I know that I'm wrong. You know, I, I, I know that there's a million, million ways more than what we're thinking about here. Um, so I'm going to stop blathering on if, if you guys have any maybe final comments because maybe this is a good time to wrap up. No, I don't. I think we've uh, we've heard everything that I had planned to say. Um, okay. Obviously, like you were saying, there are tons of things that we didn't get to stuff that I'm sure I would know it if I saw it, but that I can't think of off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, I think one good takeaway is that there, I personally don't think that there is a right or wrong way. I think that like all the stuff we've been talking about works in its own genre in this medium. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the super cartoony stuff that I'm talking about in Giant Days obviously wouldn't work very well in a Batman comic, or maybe it would. But just because something would be out of place in a serious book does not necessarily mean that it is a bad way to do it. Right. Any final thoughts from you, Tia? Um, I would just say that if you're into comic books, there are so many different layers of things that you can engage with besides the story and this is one of those things that is just kind of one of my favorite parts about comic books as a as a medium and so if you feel like you're someone who tends to just sort of like read your comics and get the story and the plot and then put them you know in your bag and board and forget about them maybe pull some of your favorites out and look at them more from a construction perspective and it just gives you an an additional layer of engagement with them that's pretty pretty exciting definitely definitely well um let's 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 wrap this episode up here you can follow us all on twitter you can follow tia at portrait of madam x you can follow brian at brian head you can follow me at mike rappin and you can follow the show at ircb podcast where we retweet all sorts of comic stuff share links and plug really cool comics and manga that we find on the internet you can also find us at our goodreads group where we post weekly threads this week in honor of die we're asking about gaming and comics You can also find us on our website, ircbpodcast.com, where we have a pronunciation guide and merch. Please rate the show and subscribe. This helps us have better rankings and helps more listeners find the show. You can email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org. You could also subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash ircbpodcast, for exclusive audio and articles, early access to top of my pile posts, and all kinds of content. 
Infinity Shred does all the music for our show. They are the best band in the universe. Xander is a true top-tier wizard, and he also edits the show. Thank you so much, Xander. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to Brian and Tia for being on the show. Make sure you go fill out the IRCB listener survey, ircbpodcast.com slash survey. And until next time, may the great skies above bless you with some great comics this upcoming week.